Welcome to the Smiling at the Future podcast. My name is Christy Rose, and this is my pursuit to glean practical wisdom on femininity, homemaking, finances, relationships, and singleness from the God-fearing men and women in my life. Hope you enjoy this journey with me as we learn to smile at the future. Hi, everyone. Thank you for coming back today. If you are new to listening to this podcast, I would love to invite you to look through the archive of the past 50 plus episodes. We have everything from how to live harmoniously with roommates, trusting God through chronic illness, how to answer common questions people will ask you about why you are still single, and how to communicate well with men, just to name a handful. You are also welcomed and encouraged to submit topics to our email, smilingatthefuturepodcast at gmail.com or our Instagram page. Today's topic on taking your thoughts captive is something we all need to become experts in because of the fast-paced and sinful world we live in, not to mention our own sinful flesh that we battle with daily. I'll let Jocelyn tell you all about herself. So here is our conversation about thinking. Well, hello, Jocelyn. Thank you for agreeing to chat with me today on this topic that is critical for women to think rightly about. And I'm a fan of the podcast that you co-host. So would you share about that with the listeners and also give an introduction about yourself, your family, your ministry, whatever you want to share with us today? Well, sure. I'm so happy to be with you today. I am one of the co-hosts for the Joyful Journey podcast that has been developed and released by Faith Church in Lafayette, Indiana. We are a division of uh, the Faith Bible Seminary that is a, a part of that church. And the other host, Janet Oakwin and I, we just have a really huge passion for theology and for understanding scripture accurately, not just so that we can get smarter about it, because you know we don't need a bunch of people who are smart about theology. We need people who are changed by Jesus And so we love theology because it helps us to know how to think right about things. And then we pray for humility that as we learn how to think accurately about God's world, that then we would live out his truth in our context. And so it's just a delight to be a part of the Joyful Journey podcast. I feel like it's like the biggest, exciting, cool thing every single time we record together. I'm so honored that Janet asked me to be a part of it. And I really love researching and I really love writing. And so getting to take a topic and research it and then talk about it with Janet, is just like having a recorded conversation with one of my besties about Jesus. And so um, we would love to have your listeners check out the Joyful Journey podcast. So my name is Jocelyn, and for, since 2013, I have been uh, a stay-at-home mom and wife. Before that, in my professional life, I worked for two different residential facilities that were faith-based. And the first one was helping women who were transitioning from homelessness. And the second one was um, helping women who were transitioning um, out of either life-dominating sinful habits or life-altering suffering. And so we helped a lot of people with addiction issues or habits of self-harm or even unplanned pregnancies. And I, I loved working in those environments. I, I really loved working to integrate biblical counseling into helping people to have victory in their real life. 
But in 2012, we realized our little girls needed my help more than everybody else's little girls needed my help. And um, we just did some reevaluating of our family and realized we only have a certain number of years with our kids. And we don't want to ever look back on that with regret. And so my husband and I decided that I would transfer my service to at home. And these last nine years have just been oh, such such a bonus delight. I mean, I expected to serve God faithfully, but I didn't expect it to be so wonderful. And so um, my little daughter is going to be a senior um, starting in June. And so my time at full-time service at home is coming to a, at least a transition point. So who knows what the future holds, but that's what I do right now. I serve my family. And then I also serve in our church. I work in the leadership team of our women's ministry. And I also help train new counselors and new teachers and then provide biblical counseling through the faith biblical counseling ministry and serving just the members of our church who need to have a little extra love and support. So I think about Jesus all day long. I think about his word and how it applies to real life. And I'm so excited to talk about this topic with you because I don't think enough people talk about it. And I don't think we think about how important thinking is. Yes. And, you know, I had been thinking about this topic and I knew I wanted to cover it on the podcast because I needed encouragement on this. I wanted to train my thoughts. And I had been praying about the right person to bring on to speak on this. And lo and behold, as I was listening to one of your episodes, you and Janet were talking about this. I thought, okay, bingo. How cool. <laughs> That's who needs to come and speak to this issue. So taking our thoughts captive, renewing our minds, redirecting our thoughts are all habits that are challenging to put into practice, but the Bible commands us to do it. The Lord commands us to do it. And it comes with blessing. And it's something that if you can build better habits around, you're going to reap the blessings of that for the rest of your life. Absolutely. And if you don't, it really affects a lot of your life. Like your thoughts are directly tied to your actions. And so it's one of those critical things. Like sometimes it seems a little sneaky, like, oh, I don't know how I ended up in this weird place of, you know, unhappiness. But if you can, if you can look backwards to the thoughts that were influencing your actions, you can really make a lot of headway and growth which is so encouraging. Yes, they lead their their paths. They lead in certain directions. So we'll start with our first question here. What is the biblical roadmap for taking our thoughts captive? What a great question. Well, I think that the biblical roadmap for taking your thoughts captive really starts with your desires and your motivation. And I've been really... for. I don't know what captured my attention so much this past year, but I have really, really been thinking about the fact that a right understanding starts with knowing that I was created by God for God and that He had a great design before anything was even created, that He wanted to create a world that He could pour out His love on. And so if I remember that I was created by God for God, it helps me to know that I'm not my own, but I belong, body and soul, both in life and death to God and as a believer to my Savior, Jesus Christ. So if that's true, then I, I have to realize that my mind is also not my own and that thinking is a tool 
that God's given me in like to use in the process of fulfilling the creation mandate. God wants me to know him. He wants me to love him and emulate him in whatever areas I have influence here on the earth. But I also have to realize that all humans, except for the son of man, Jesus, have rebelled against that mandate from the creator. And they now bear the weight of the curse of sin. And that affects everything about me and my experience on earth, sadly, including how my mind thinks. So that means although I was made in a way to reflect truth about God and to share some of his hidden qualities, I'm now capable of thinking in a way that does the opposite of that, which is, oh, that's so terrible. But thirdly, I can really rejoice in the fact that Jesus's perfect life and his sacrificial death on my behalf makes it possible for those terrible, terrible consequences of my sin to be paid and for me to return to functioning the way that God intended for me to function. That's such great news. Like That's why the gospel is called the gospel. It means good news. I can be returned to functioning the way that I was created to when my sin problem has been taken care of. And I'm also really motivated when I think like, Jesus Christ is my savior and king, and he's going to come back and restore creation to function the way he wanted it to all along. So that really gives me a lot of hope, including inside of my thoughts, that one day it won't be quite this hard to think the right way. And so on days that I'm like, oh my goodness, why is this so challenging all day long to think the right way. I, I have this hopeful look at the future where it's not it's not going to be this much of a struggle always. And right now, I'm building an appreciation for God's holiness when I have to face my own, you know, repetitive wickedness through the day. So because of all that stuff, I can really learn to practice thinking, even in this body that's cursed by sin, I can think with a redeemed mind that makes that like helps me to become more and more godly. So as I look back over time, like I, I can say like, oh my goodness, I'm thinking more and more like Jesus today and less and less like Jocelyn than I did five years ago. That's a that's a, such a huge victory. And so I really work to take my thoughts captive and even like even to have a desire to even control my thinking because of all that other stuff. If I don't have right theology going into it, like if I don't understand why I'm here and how how my redemption affects my thinking, then I'm probably not going to work really hard on controlling my thoughts. But when I do have the right desires and motivations, then I'm going to be willing to work really hard to keep my thoughts in line with scripture because I believe ultimately that obeying Jesus will make me the happiest. Not thinking however I want, not doing whatever I want, but like conforming my life through what I learn of the righteousness of Jesus. And so then it's not just like a pain every time I have to obey. It's like, no, this is what makes me happy and it's good for me. And it makes my life even better. So it really helps to know what is behind why we take our thoughts captive. It's not just, that's not just a behavior. It flows out of our love for Jesus. And that love for Jesus flows out of God's love for us. Wow. That is so important to have that motivation correct. And that means that we need to be spending time in God's word and to know what the Lord says if we are going to be 
having our thoughts flow from that motivation. Absolutely. Okay. So sometimes our thoughts can feel like a losing battle. They just feel almost uncontrollable. Um, They come and go. And sometimes we don't even know where that thought came from. How do we build habits to direct our thoughts and our thinking when they when it just feels like an impossible task sometimes? Yeah. I think one of the things that's important to remember about myself is that because of the curse of sin, because of our decision to rebel against the creator, everything about the way that we think and function has been flawed. So, I mean, when sin entered the world, it was like a big, thick, heavy fog fell onto creation. And now we're you know, kind of like trying to make our way through that. So if I know that original creation mandate from Genesis 1, 26 through 28, then I know originally God designed me to know and love him and to be so close to him that we, the way I think and love and function and am motivated is really emulating him. And it's really like the focus is to represent him accurately, almost like I was an ambassador doing my life work on behalf of the king. So before the curse of sin, I would have been able to do that job really flawlessly and joyfully, which is so cool to think about. But now with the curse of sin, my thoughts are really tainted by that. So one of the things that helped me to think about how to build habits um, that help control my thoughts are to really focus on some big character qualities of God because the more I know who He is as He presents Himself in Scripture, then hopefully the more I will be growing in that way too. And so one of the first qualities of God that I really spend a lot of time thinking about that will then motivate what I, what I, how I you know, organize my thoughts is the fact that God is merciful and gracious and super slow to anger. And he abounds in steadfast love and faithfulness. And he keeps that steadfast love for thousands of generations. He forgives iniquity and, and transgression. And we see that in passages like Exodus 34, 5 through 7, when God had to talk about himself to Moses, he described himself that way. So as I'm thinking about my thoughts, I think, okay, are my thoughts merciful? Like God is merciful. And I'll just be straight up. My natural Jocelyn inclination when I think that like a knee-jerk reaction thought is not mercy. It is usually judgment. Like, oh my word, I cannot believe they did that. And so as I think, how do I build habits to direct my thoughts? I'm thinking, okay, I want my thoughts to be merciful. I want my thoughts to be gracious. I want to be the kind of thinker that is slow to anger. Like you really have to work hard to make me mad. I want my thoughts to be overwhelmingly loving and faithful. And so there's another, another couple of qualities about God that have been super motivating for me as I work to control my thinking. And one of them is from Isaiah 55, six through nine. That passage talks about how, God's compassion is so unlike our own compassion. It's like on a totally different level. And the the way he has compassion and mercy is so much higher than our way of doing that. And sometimes we quote this verse, Isaiah 55, 8. We say, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, 
neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Kind of like, oh, we can't know what God is doing. His thoughts are so much above ours, which is true. They are. But the context of that is talking about God's compassion. And so I think about my thoughts, like, do I work to control my thoughts so that they are the compassion seen in my thinking is so much on a whole different playing field than the world's thoughts. And then in Jeremiah 31, 20, it says that God thinks of his children as precious, dear, beloved children who can't wiggle out of his love no matter how much they sin against him. And so I think, does that inform the way that I organize my thoughts? Like, am I, do, do I think such deeply loving thoughts about the people that I'm around, the people that I'm serving, like my own, you know, even the people that are hard to love? Am I thinking like, oh, dude, you're going to have to try really hard to squeeze out of me loving you because my thoughts are trained. They're trained and organized to be controlled into thinking my love for you will represent God's love for you. And so I really try to focus a lot on the character of God to organize my thought. And so salvation, like me being returned to a good relationship with God, it, it does take out my heart of stone and it gives me new life. So I was dead and now I'm alive. But the curse of sin means like I'm, I'm going to have to work to remember how to do things the way that God wants me to do them because I'm still really controlled by desires of my body, like my fleshly desires. So, so here's a couple of ways that I think that applies to controlling my thoughts is first of all, I'm not going to be so surprised when the first thought that pops into my head is selfish, self-centered, condemnatory, and hateful. I know like often that will be my first thought that pops into my head. But if my heart has been made alive by God and my flesh that still, like it was cursed by sin, I'm going to more naturally think about myself first. So if I can just come to terms with that, it's not going to throw me off so much. Because then my second thought can be like, okay, we're going to get in line with what God says thinking should be like. And I'm going to work really hard to stay in line with God's thoughts. So I have to think like, okay, first thoughts might be ugly, but it's almost like a temptation. Like just because that thought popped into your head does not mean you have to keep on thinking it. You can just say, oh, okay. Oh, well, that was a little out of line, not following scripture. And my second thought is going to be like, okay, I don't get to think however I want. I'm not my own. Jesus bought me with his blood. And if I belong to God because of Jesus, then I'm training my mind to think in a controlled way. And if I believe that my thoughts are uncontrollable, then I'm not really understanding the gospel really well. And so I think that we have to remember that if we belong to Jesus, Jesus has crucified our flesh with its passions and desires. And that means I don't have to think a way that is natural for me. I can think in a way that is organized. I have this really silly thing that I do with Philippians 4.8, but it really helps me. Philippians 4.8 is this super cool verse that tells us like a biblical way to think. And so when I teach this, actually, when I teach this to my kids or to my counselees, I teach them that a thought that pops into your head is like a little sheep. I call her Lulu the sheep and Lulu the sheep wants to hang out in your head because your head is like a beautiful meadow and she wants to hang out 
there and eat your munchy grass. But Philippians 4.8 shows all these different gates that that sheep has to fit through in order for her to go hang out in the meadow, in, which is inside of your head. And so I like to think like lose the sheep is a thought that just popped into my head. And for her to be allowed to stay in my head, she has to fit through the gate of if it's true. So can I keep on thinking this thing only if it's true? And the next gate that it has, she has to fit through is, is it honorable? So is that thought an honorable thought? Is it the next gate is, is it a right thought? The next gate is, is it a pure thought? The next gate is, is it lovely? And then is it admirable? Is it excellent? Is it worthy of praise? So there might be a lot of thoughts that are true, but they're definitely not worthy of praise. And so one of the ways that I teach my brain to control thinking is to just because it pops into my head doesn't mean it's allowed to hang out in my head and chill there. Like it has to fit through the gate that are talked about in Philippians 4, 8. It has to be both true and honorable. And that just on a practical level, that was really helpful when I had had my first baby back in 2002, I really, I almost died having her for one. So she was born 13 weeks early so that I wouldn't die. And after that, we got through all of her long, long NICU stay. And I, you know, I, I was able to handle all the health emergency stuff. And then I realized like when she was six months old, I was just getting obsessed with panic. Or like even irrational, crazy thinking like, oh, it was really horrible for a little while. And one of the things that helped me was to learn how to use Philippians 4 really practically. Like I would imagine my baby, her name is Haley. I would imagine Haley um, like getting a sickness and dying. And I could imagine what her funeral looked like and what she looked like in her little casket. And I was spending all of this time thinking about what was potentially true and like trying to prepare myself to handle this potentially true thing when it wasn't even really, really true. It was just possibly true. And so there was a couple of times that she got sick. So it was true that she was sick, but it wasn't honorable to imagine her funeral or like, you know, plan for how I would suffer the grief of losing her. So I find Philippians 4 super helpful in organizing the thoughts that are allowed to stay inside of my head and, and and also to be like to cut myself some flack, just because a thought pops into my head doesn't mean I get to leave it hanging out in there. Like I'm allowed to say evacuate. You're not allowed to be something that I think about. Yes, I agree with that. We're not coming to our thoughts from a place of defeat, but victory. And we have a choice. I think sometimes we feel like we're the victims and we can't control these thoughts. And they're just, you know, especially for women, we're so creative in our thoughts and our worrying and they just like go crazy in our brain and we have to create those new patterns. If you're used to letting your thoughts control your life and your thinking, it's going to probably take a little more time for you to get those under control, Um, but it's totally doable and we're not victims. He cares about how we respond to that. Not, Not like you said, like a thought can come but what matters is what we do with it and our response to that and how we honor the Lord with how we deal with it. Martin Luther 
said this quote, you've probably heard this before, but you cannot keep birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. So sometimes those thoughts are just there, especially in the world that we live in and being bombarded with news and just so much evil and suffering. And that can just place a lot of thoughts in our head, but we don't have to dwell on them and we can think on what is honorable and true. I do think it's important too, though, to examine where thoughts might be coming from, because if you do um, like allow yourself to be exposed to an unlimited amount of things or like you don't limit the quality of what you're exposing yourself to, it's possible that it might be harder to control your thinking because you haven't really filtered out what's allowed to come into your mind. And so there's all sorts of practical things you can do, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit more later, but it's really important to examine what your intake of information is to make sure that you're not making it harder for yourself to filter out what is ungodly because you've just been like opening your brain and letting ungodly stuff just dump in there. So it is important to make sure if you keep on struggling with uncontrollable thinking that you examine if there are any ways that the resources you're using in your entertainment or just your information are making it harder for you. Because there's no reason to hamstring ourselves and make it more difficult to live in a godly way. Yes. And that's such a hard balance because I know even just like trying to stay up on the news, you know, you can try and and cut every source of information from your life, but we, we live in the world, but we're not of the world. Right. And we don't want to be oblivious. It's not like we need to put a little fence around ourselves and keep ourselves protected from reality. Reality really helps us to be effective and to be useful and fruitful here, both edifying believers and evangelizing the lost. But yeah, it's hard. It's hard to know how to balance what input you're allowing yourself to receive. Yeah. And some people are going to have a, I don't know if I would call it maybe a higher tolerance to what they're able to intake and handle. And some people um, just know that they need to be a little more guarded in um, like the news that they consume. And um, I'm one of those people, I have to really limit that and just focus on the Lord and on his sovereign control of our world. And I I have informed people in my life that will tell me the, I guess, the most pertinent news that I need to know. (laughs) (laughs) That's helpful. Yeah. That's super helpful. (laughs) Some some gatekeepers, so to speak. So kind of along those same lines um, of just kind of these thoughts that can come out of nowhere. They're kind of like those fiery darts from the devil. How do you handle, you know, the guilt or the shame that that can be an effect of those sinful or fearful thoughts? That's a really good question. I think one thing that would be helpful at the beginning is to differentiate between guilt and shame because those are two different things. And if I suddenly have a thought that is condemnatory and it accuses me of having sinned, then it would be prudent for me to stop like whatever I'm doing and actually address that thought. And so what if this thought pops into my head? You can never be forgiven. That thing you did when you were 20, that was too evil for God to ever be able to forgive, much less to not, to want to forgive. So it would be prudent if I just said, okay, pause on whatever I'm doing. Let's think about that and ask some questions because is that event in the past 
or is there something that needs to be dealt with about it still? And if I've just tried to stuff a thought down, it's gonna, I'm gonna handle that differently than if I've already confessed that sin and asked for God's forgiveness and something happened that kind of like made it pop back up in my mind. So not having, like having not dealt with something and it popping into my mind, but having dealt with it and it popping back into my mind are two different things. Like I'll handle those two different ways. So if I have already dealt with that sin and I've confessed it to God and asked his forgiveness, then in that moment, my job would be to remind myself of forgiveness and to like roll in God's forgiveness like a pig rolls in mud, like cover it, like just just rejoice in it, remind myself, frolic in it. And, and I don't have to like feel ugly about it because what I should be feeling about that sin is how much God loved me, that he made Christ available to me, and then to just rejoice and exult in that mercy. Like he didn't have to forgive me, but he did. And that's, oh my word, that's amazing. So on the other hand, though, if something came to my mind, because I never really dealt with it, then and that would be a great time to confess it. Like this, I, I counsel a lot of people who struggle with trauma in the past. And that's part of what's hard. Like the first thing that's hard about that is they don't even want what is true to be true. And so instead of letting something be true so that they can just rejoice in God's answers for that situation, they just spend all of their energy trying to make it not be true. And we can do that same thing about sin. Like I just, and then mostly, quite honestly, mostly it would be a, a statement about our very own pride. Like, oh, I cannot believe that I was so sinful that I did that wicked thing. That you're going to spend all of your energy energy trying to just convince yourself that it's not that bad. But if you were just able to say, wow, I am capable of huge wickedness. And it's shocking that Jesus would want me and provide forgiveness for me. And look, I will let it be true. And I will deal with it the way that God says to by confessing. Like all I'm doing when I confess is agreeing with God's opinion about it. Like if he said that thing was wrong and I engaged in it, then I agree with God. Hey God, I did that thing that was against your law. And now I would ask you to forgive me. And first John one nine says, I confess and it's his job to forgive me and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. So if I'm accepting that he's forgiven me, I have to start, I have to learn to start believing like I am forgiven and not feel like I need to grovel and, until I'm sufficiently, you know, upset about it. So I think there's, you have to examine what's actually going on because what's actually going on with that guilt or shame thought is going to, it's going to tell you how to handle it. The other thing to remember about guilt and shame is that guilt is a legal term. So God commanded his humans to function in a certain way. Like he gave us his standards, his law. And when we violate those standards, we're basically being held, like we're standing in court where God is using his law as the law that judges our, our actions. And he'll look and say, is there evidence that this person has violated my commands? So guilt is a legal term. And there's a super cool passage in Colossians that says that those who have come to salvation, all of the stack of their certificates of guilt have been nailed to the cross. And so guilt is a legal term where it says you either did this thing that violates God's law, or you didn't do this thing that God said you were supposed to. 
And so legally, you're in a position of guilt if you committed the offense. But shame is the gross, painful feeling that kind of bubbles up inside of us when we're conscious of having done something dishonorable or improper. And so sometimes you feel yucky because you remember an event that God has forgiven us for. Like every single one of us has events in our past that we are just, that we are so ashamed of. And so you can't stop yourself from remembering that event, but you can train your, you know, your body, soul, mind, and spirit to function in a way that either remembers that you're forgiven and that your shame was covered by Christ's blood or just wallow in those yucky feelings. Like I can't believe that I was capable of such a thing. So if I, if I feel guilty, I need to ask myself, is there something that actually needs to be taken care of between me and God or, or between me and someone else? And then if there is just take care of it, like deal with it the way that God says. And then when I feel ashamed, I need to ask myself, why remembering that thing bothers me so much? So it might be, like I said, it might be a thing, a, a, an instance of pride where like, I just cannot believe I was capable of doing something so wicked. In that case, we probably need to confess that sin of pride and say, I should think about myself. It's shocking that I ever do anything right because I am so flawed. And, you know, praise God that he is conforming me to the image of Jesus Christ because wow, I'm a work in progress. Oh, that's really, really good. Thank you. Sometimes, at least for myself, I find that battling my thoughts becomes probably hardest at night and when I'm trying to fall asleep. I don't know why that is, but when all distractions are removed and your mind is still on. (laughs) So for, for people who are struggling in that way, struggling to rest in Christ, how would you encourage them or what practical steps could you offer them? I think this is such an important question because I I think the average person doesn't think about the fact that they think for the majority of their day, but God loves us so much that he allows us to be squeezed in situations that reveal our heart. And one of those really practical situations is sleep because we're really good at distracting ourselves for the majority of our day. But God loves us so much. He doesn't let us get away with that unwise way of living, basically. And so at some point, your thoughts catch up with you and you have to pay attention to what you're thinking about. And so God really commands us, especially I'm thinking about Proverbs 4, He commands us to look at the path that we're on and to ponder where that path is taking us. And, and he commands us to be careful about what we think about. And that's hard work, especially if you've never thought about the fact that you think much. I really think about a lot about Luke 10, 27. That verse says, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so if we think about what that's actually saying, it says, love God with every thought of your mind. That, oh my word, that is so much work. So because it's so much work, it's really easy to push it away, especially like to fill our head with entertainment or amusement. One of the things that was really helpful for me was when I learned what the word amusement actually means. The prefix A means the lack of or the absence of, and muse means think. 
And so if you think about why we often entertain ourselves or amuse ourselves, it's so that we don't have to think like, why do we play a game on our phone or like, you know, play Wordle or whatever. It's like so that we can stop thinking about one thing by forcing ourselves to think about something different. Not like taking a break is a bad thing, but like you can't just never think about important things because they will catch up with you. And so I, if I know that I need to think about things that are pure and blameless, like Philippians 1, 9 through 11 says, and I'm supposed to train my thinking with the knowledge from God, then I have to be ready to do some hard work. So I know I don't want to just amuse myself to death or entertain myself to death. And I think there's a couple of things that you can do through your day that will help dealing with the night a little bit easier. One of the things that I've found is that if you have a thought that pops into your head when you're laying in bed about something that you need to do tomorrow, like this is so practical. I, I used to keep myself awake at night trying to remember stuff that I needed to do the next day. Well, something way more practical is like get your notepad out on your phone and just write down that thing on your to-do list. Because if it is an important thing and you don't want to re- forget it, then just writing it down will help you to know I can fall asleep and when I wake up, it will be there and I won't have to remember it all night long. Another thing that's helpful about that is sometimes we get intrusive thoughts at night and it's not, it's not a good time to think about them because at night you're supposed to be you know, organizing your mind so you can fall asleep because you only have a certain amount of hours so you have to get up the next morning. And so if you have an intrusive thought, it's also a good thing to write that down because it's probably something that you should think about tomorrow. And you can say, Jesus, I'm, I'm realizing there's something that I really need to spend some energy thinking about tomorrow. And so I'm going to ask you, God, could you please be here with me right now? Could you please help me to put my mind to rest about that thing? And then tomorrow, when I have to think about it, would you please give me wisdom so that I can think about it with a rested and renewed mind full of your wisdom and not just, you know, frantically trying to work it out in my head. Also, I think a lot of times what we think about at night is worries. And so a lot of times at night when we're worrying, we've got to remember passages like Philippians 4, 6 through 7. That says, Don't be anxious, but the way that you're not anxious is because you immediately take your concern to God and ask for help. And that's really, it's really like a constant reorientation to my creature status before the creator. He is the creator and he made me to be in relationship with him. He wants to be a part of my day and my anxieties push me to him in a way that very few other things do. And so I, I'm, I really need to teach myself, especially with worries and anxieties. Like I was never created to handle this thing by myself. I was made to walk closely with my God for him to be my whole entire life. And James 1, 2, 3, 5, it's a super cool passage because it says, count it all joy when you encounter, when you encounter various trials because they grow you up in the faith. And then right after that, James 1, 2, or James 1, 5 says, so in the middle of all of these crises, here's what you need to do. You need to ask for God to give you wisdom because he will give you generously without making you feel stupid that you needed to ask for help. And so we just need to understand James 1, 2 through 5 tells us when we have tough stuff, 
it's an opportunity for us to grow. So don't be surprised if we need to grow, but also ask for wisdom in the middle of it because God is abundant in his goodness. He is so kind. He wants to help us. And then sometimes like you might just not be able to sleep because you drink coffee too late at night or like you're, you know, like I do that. I love coffee and I'm like, oh, this is not going to affect me. And then I'm like, oh, it totally affected me. I'm laying here and I just can't fall asleep. Like I've done everything. I've breathed deeply. I've done everything I can do to fall asleep. And it might just be one of those bonus times that you, you're like, okay, this is what tonight looks like. I get to lay here and be awake. And so in those moments, just because you're laying there and allowing your body to get rest doesn't mean you can't still be fruitful and helpful in your head. So like there's all sorts of scripture passages that you could practice reciting. You could pray for every single person you can think of. Like all of us have people who are having a tough time and need prayer and you never know, they might be awake right then battling some big battles and it was God's will for you to be awake because they needed to be really held up in prayer at that moment. And so you could, you could have all sorts of like reminder lists, like reasons to be thankful, character qualities of God. So just because you can't fall asleep, like for some other reason, doesn't mean that that's wasted time. And then if all else fails and you can't think of anything else to do, I really love listening to scripture. I, there's this one, um, we, we use Amazon Music um, Unlimited at our house because we listen to tons of music. And one of the albums that's available, actually it's like 10 albums that's available, are called the Breathe Bible um, Collection. And they have actors who have dramatized the NLT version of the Bible. And I have found it extremely helpful when I can't fall asleep or when I have like, I work in the garden a lot because we grow a lot of our food. I just have hours and hours and hours in the garden. And I find that if I don't purposely choose what to think about, what I will think about is things that irritate me. Like, you know, somebody said something that I didn't like or that made me feel yucky or whatever. And so if I choose to flood my brain with good stuff, like, out loud scripture reading that really, really helps. And then there's also some scripture that's set to music on YouTube. It's like three hours of someone quoting scripture with really lovely, like soft ambient music in the background. That just helps because it's better to think about godly positive things than to just sit there with a big empty head trying to real like think through nothing over and over and over. So there's a lot of things you can do at night, but like I said, with the guilt and shame question, like it really depends on why you can't sleep. You have to ad- address the actual problem, not just throw solutions at a problem that's not accurately defined. So think through what's going on and then address it in a way that's a good use of your time. You never know what God's doing with your awareness at that time. I read an article not too long ago by Johnny Erickson Tata about how she handles sleeplessness in the middle of the night. And it was so encouraging. It was so cool to see the habits that she's developed for herself when pain makes her not be able to sleep. So just think about what God might want you to be doing to invest in someone else or to renew your mind with him or his word. So I think that sometimes sleepless nights are times that God is up to something and we need to look for what he's up to because we know it's good. And we know, we know there's, gospel opportunities in the middle of it. We just haven't found them yet sometimes. 
Oh, so many practical tips, Jocelyn. Thank you. I I know for myself, it's usually those sleepless nights when I feel the most vulnerable and when my fears feel largest. <laughs> and I think it's because you're, you're you're in a place of weakness and and fatigue. And so sometimes, like for me, I'll just get up and read and focus my mind on something else. Um, but one tactic that my mom has taught me to do, and it's been really helpful, is... And it's kind of, I guess, more the idea of like why people count sheep when they're trying to sleep. It's like focusing your thoughts on something. But instead of doing that, she goes through the alphabet and will you know, start with the letter A and will think of all of the names of God and the attributes of God that begin with that letter. And then she'll go to the next letter. And so she has an example of when she used this that the Lord was so gracious my father passed away four years ago. And that night, you know, she was laying in bed thinking, you know, how do I, how do I sleep? How do I fall asleep today? You know, it was just, she was exhausted by emotion. And so she, she did that. She started going through the alphabet. And as soon as she got to the letter P, the peace of God will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. She said, that's the last thing she remembers. And she fell asleep and was able to to get the rest that she needed. But yeah, just focusing on God and maybe, like you said, He's using those times to draw you closer to Himself and to remind yourself of who He is. And it's a, I've also been using my sleeplessness at night lately to really cry out for others on their behalf. I, I have some people that I love who the nights are very hard for them because they're working through some really tough stuff. And like you said, like you're at a you're at a moment of physical weakness when you're tired at the end of your day. And I think that's a time when a lot of fear shows up in a maybe more meaningful way, like more it takes you over a little bit more. So I generally don't struggle that way. And so what I try to do at night is to think, how can I pray for someone else right now who I who I love and know is struggling at night? who is having a hard time remembering reality or remembering the love of Jesus Christ or remembering to ask for Jesus to be with them in their sorrow. And so what I've been really, you know, trying to apply lately is whenever I get up and I do get up a lot in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom or stuff like that, I try to think like, if this person is struggling right now, what do they most likely need? And then I pray to God on that person's behalf that they will remember that thing that they need right then. Because I am in my right mind and I don't struggle with reality and they're probably needing something that they haven't even thought to ask for. So it's almost like, how do I battle for my friends when my battles aren't super hard right now? And then I know that those friends are going to battle for me when my battles are intense. I just think it's a really practical way to love other people and to invest in their holiness instead of just making my life all about myself. Jocelyn, are there any resources that you would like to recommend to the listeners on the topic of thinking, taking your thoughts captive? Sure. Um, I did just reference this a second ago. Timothy Keller has written a really helpful little pocket-sized book called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, The Path to True Christian Joy. It's a little booklet, but it's also a sermon that you can listen to on YouTube. 
I listen to that um, when I'm working out in the garden or, you know, it takes like maybe 45 minutes to listen to. But the booklet is, is so helpful because it helps you to remember your life is not everything and your life is not nothing. But there is so much freedom in just kind of forgetting yourself, forgetting making you the main point of your existence and remembering that it's Jesus who this life is all about. I also really like a book called In the Arena of the Mind by John Vandegrift. I'm sure you can link that in your show notes. It's just really helpful. It actually is where I learned about how to use Philippians 4.8 as kind of like gate to push my mind through because it's uh, it just breaks down like the different things that Philippians 4.8 talks about. That's a really good book. I, I really use that a lot. And then there is an audio CD. I, I think you can probably get it as an MP3 too that my friend Amy Baker teaches on controlling your thoughts. She is super creative. And in that session that she teaches, she just gives a huge list of different things that you could do when you're trying to learn how to make your thoughts obey you. So I'll send you a link to that as well. And then um, you can share that with your listeners. John MacArthur, which is, you guys are from John MacArthur's area. He has a book called Think Biblically, Recovering a Christian Worldview. I have found that book to be very helpful. He just talks about like the fact that we are actually supposed to think. And when we're thinking, we're supposed to be organizing our thoughts to fit with a biblical worldview. And then the last resource I would recommend, although it's not the last one available, there's tons of great resources on thinking. Timothy Whitmer has a book called Mindscape. And it's a book on what to think about instead of worrying. And I think a lot of our messed up thoughts are worrying thoughts. So that's a really helpful resource if you want to train yourself how to stop thinking anxious thoughts and to purposely think thoughts that honor God. Thank you. And I will link all of those in the show notes for the listeners to take advantage of. And I am so thankful, Jocelyn, for how you brought everything to God's word. And that's our standard. That is what we should be filling our mind with. And so I know this will be a blessing to the listeners. Thank you so much. Of course, it's been an honor to be with you and to get to meet you and to connect with some fellow believers out in your area. I just think the more that we can love and support each other on our individual journeys with the Lord, the greater our personal joy will be, but also the greater the joy of the whole church as we just revel in our Savior and make Him the whole point of our life.